Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show 356. There never was a normal and we can't go back. Fast forward in a post-pandemic world. So today we're going to be talking about how people, industries and organisations are doing well and not so well to rewire for our imperfect future. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Jerry Brown, aka the Customer Lifeguard. Welcome, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. So start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do with that intriguing moniker. <laughs> well, the, the the bottom line to that is uh, I'm saving the world from bad customer service. And uh, I, I decided uh, to use that because uh, both as a customer myself and having been involved in the industry in a whole range of different roles for, for many years, I realized that uh, as customers, we are, uh, and this won't come as a surprise to anyone, we are not always treated as well as we could be. And I thought, well, what, you know, what's at the heart of that? And why is this happening in, in a world where it pre, pre-COVID even, where we have a lot of the tools, we have the people, we have a lot of the, uh, I guess I would say, the ingredients to deliver great customer service and great customer experience, but we're not doing it all the time. So I, my background is I started off, I worked for Bell Canada for many years uh, in the communications industry. Uh, selling uh, selling telephones and telephone services when there weren't wasn't a much choice very much like uh, you know before BT when the uh, post office ran the phone service in the UK and then sort of worked um, in various other guises uh, helping people uh, perhaps develop uh, uh, telemarketing programs as they were then when telemarketing had a good name and then uh, got very involved in custom experience from a strategy perspective as custom experience became quite an interesting area in the early 2000s and people began to use custom experience as a way to improve things. I got very involved in that. And because I'd also had a technology background, I found it was quite interesting bringing those two things together. Many businesses uh, want to go out and look at custom experience strategy, which is really important. And they do that. And then when they get that fixed, they then have to say, right, well, how do we make sure this all works? How do we, do we have the technology to enable that? And, of course, employee engagement is a key part of that, making sure that all of your employees that, that are doing all of the right things have the right technology to make it work. So I sort of span those two areas of, of strategy, tactic, tactics, and technology and, and looking at all of those things that make customers and employees happier. Lovely. Thank you. So we're going to obviously focus most of our conversation on employee engagement, funnily enough, sure. <laughs> as that's what we do. Um, but let's start by uh, just sort of highlighting some of the, the, the things that are happening in, in the world at the moment in terms of customers and organizations. Um, I'm sure you've got some insights on that, which uh, I think will lead nicely into the conversation about employee engagement. But uh, let's talk a bit about 
the sort of customer service side of things and what's been happening during the pandemic? Well, I think we've all experienced either individually or we've read about it in papers, seen it on the news about many of the things that are happening and whether it's uh, holidays being canceled and funds not being issued in, in an appropriate or timely fashion. We've seen many organizations obviously have to cut back on people and therefore you go to either contact them in one way or the other. You go to the website and they tell us that we're having unprecedented demand. And by the way, uh, you know, a couple of words that I, I would like to get out of or phrases. I want to get unprecedented times out of our <laughs> lexicon. I also want to get the new normal, which is the, the yeah. reason we've talked it the way we have out of our lexicon. And I think, you know, we're finding that all of a sudden organizations that you think, okay, we're all in this together, because this one, we really are all in this together. Many organizations simply aren't stepping up at the same time, many are. So, you know, without naming names necessarily, I think we've, we've all experienced issues with, uh, with banks, uh, with uh, we even in, in today's uh, uh, times, there was a story about you know many of the banks that that have not yet reopened fully for for branch uh, branch uh, contact. And while I realize that of course is is something that known as many people are doing, many people are dependent on that. Many people don't can't go online. And so something that's been happening for quite some time in the world is people think that everyone has online access when they don't necessarily have that. So many businesses haven't been able to adapt fast enough to what has been forced upon them, obviously. And as a result, whether that be not having people available on phones, whether that, you know, whether that be remote workers or whatever it is. So what we've seen is many organizations simply almost their head in the sand and hope that this will all be over very soon, which of course we're all realizing it won't. And then many other companies that are really stepping up, making, uh, making sure that both customers and by extension their employees are well taken care of because I think what we've seen clearly, you know, the NHS has delivered some some amazing things for people. And while you might say, well, you know, those people didn't have a lot of choice. Well, they've done it anyway, and they've stepped up. So I think we've seen the capability of people being able to respond to this kind of thing, which certainly is is nothing that any of us have ever seen before. And I think for, for many of the companies that haven't haven't been able to do that. People will remember, and I think that's the thing that I've been talking to a lot of people about. People will remember the companies that let them down. And whenever we get back to doing things in a way that we want to, you know, without having any restrictions put upon us, I think we'll, we'll know who those companies are. And we'll, they, I, I'm sure mm -hmm. somebody's out there tracking them anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. I guess I mean, it's, we often talk about, you know, should should a company focus on their customer and then their employee or should they focus on their employee and then their customer uh, and I think yep. you know this this pandemic has sort of a lot of people have forgotten that organizations do have almost two customers you know one of them being the employee and you know I think the organizations that have have really got it right were able to sort of do something for both of those audiences simultaneously and some organizations have just been incapable of doing that they've you know they may have just done a bad job full stop or they may have really looked after the customer and not done so well with the employee or or because they're not looking after the employees the customers are then impacted as well um so i guess it is it is difficult um well what's your thoughts on what what comes first who who that focus should be well i think many people have have, have said 
keep your employees happy and and your customers will be happy. So happy employee, happy customer. I certainly think I think that's true. I, I think it's used sometimes a little bit too flippantly uh, to to just assume that that will happen because you know you can have really happy employees who have a a fabulous uh, office environment in, in the days when we all had offices and they have table tennis and they have uh, beer on Fridays and all that kind of stuff. They're probably really happy. Whether that translates into happy in customers is, is not always clear to me. But I think it mm. does start. And I think what has happened now is it, it almost has to start with that employee because you're asking them to do some very different things. So whether mm. so for those companies that have kept them on board, in other words, they haven't furloughed them, they've said, right, we're going to make sure that we make it as easy and as, as uh, uh, flexible as possible for you to continue to, A, do your job, obviously to get paid, which is important for many people. So what do we need to do to do that? And those companies that have started from that perspective, I believe, are the ones that have been most successful. Because mm. I, the way I look at it is this. If, if you were an employee working for some of these companies that have not treated their, their customers particularly well, do you, do you think you want to keep working? Now, at this point in time, maybe it's not an easy decision to make, but you look at a company that's, that's not doing well or companies that have decided to, that decided to lay off lots of people and then go for all the government money they could. Um, if I'm an employee of that company, how do I view that? How do I view them? So I think what is changing from employees and, and those employees that have said yes my organization is doing their darndest to make sure that both i'm i'm taken care of and our customers and they're giving me the opportunity to deliver that service so you know in this most simple format being able to, to work remotely have access to all the things that you need be in a position where you feel confident and comfortable that you can deliver a great customer service as an employee makes you feel pretty good and i think those companies that have done that well are the ones that are still thriving and, and at least are maintaining a level of service. Whereas the ones that haven't done that, and again, it's the same thing as I said about customers, employees will remember as well. And when things get to a stage where other decisions can't be made, they may say, I don't know if I want to be working for this customer, this uh, company anymore. And they're going to, they're going to go on to something else. So I think what, is, what has changed is for those companies that have recognized that employees do come first, then I think they're the ones that have adapted best, put, put themselves in a position where their, their employees can deliver great customer service, and as a result, will, will be the ones that customers will remember fondly. Mm-hmm. So in the UK at the moment, this, I think this week, uh, the, the government advice has sort of switched to, the, to encourage um, people back into the workplace if it's safe to do so is, is what is what they're saying um, and it's interesting how many people sort of want to just go back to how that was how things were whereas some organizations have found a whole new way of operating and, and, and aren't planning to do that I mean I mentioned on this podcast before my husband's company virtually as soon as they went uh, we went into lockdown decided that they were going to uh, not go back into the office and close some of the offices and, and have their employees working from home fairly sort of permanently. So that's obviously had an, uh, an impact on them as an organisation, how they manage their people. What, what sort of positive and negative influences do you see on, on the whole concept of remote working and potentially that whole thing about rushing people back into the office because they now can as well? 
Well, I think from what I've seen and from TV interviews and also some of the organizations that I'm I'm continuing to work with. Fortunately for me, I've been able to continue to work with uh, many clients uh, on a remote basis. So I've been able to get feedback. So uh, it's not just speculative. It's, it's you know, sort of real-time feedback. And, mm-hmm. and many of the organizations I've been working with, one is a public sector organization. Another is a semi-public uh, organization that uh, has all of their employees working remotely currently, and there's been no pressure on them to come back because they have found that for the most part they can they can operate quite well. I recognize that every company in every in every industry can't necessarily do that. But I think for those that can, the reality is is that the switch back to going into an office is going to be a lot easier than having everyone come back and then having another lockdown uh, and then being able to react to that. So I think organizations that have said fine, we we have we have reached the stage where whether it's all of our people or 90% of people are able to work remotely and we are able to deliver great customer service, I think we'll continue to do that uh, for as long as they feel they, they need to. And the, the reality is, is that when you think about, again, I've, some things I've been reading in the paper and, and hearing about today, uh, you know, organizations that have very large offices are certainly in a position to start thinking about, do we renew a lease? I've talked to a number of people like that who said we've got a lease coming up for a very large building. Do we do we do we do that? What should we do? Um, clearly, landlords are are certainly pressurizing uh, the retail market to, uh, to sign leases, but also in turn being asked to to take uh, uh, take a little bit less and give them a break. So I think what we're going to see is that those organizations that have made the right moves in terms of remote working, I think will continue to do that. The other side of that, of course, is the fact that people say, well, you know, we, we, we like that personal contact. You're absolutely right. Of course we do. People don't want to be continually working from home. But I think in the short term, and, and I don't know how long that short term is right now, I think we're going to see those organizations continue to let people do their own thing. And, and again, this is where the the positive side of employee engagement comes along. If you're not being forced into going in, if you're, being, if you're given a, a real choice and they say, well, look, if you want to come in, that's fine. You want to come in a couple of days, you feel you need that, need to come back, fine. We'll, we'll make it as safe and secure as we possibly can. And so I think organizations that are able to do that and give their people a choice, like in anything else in life, I think, again, that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see it very, very slowly, people coming back into offices. And for those businesses that have made a success of this, I think uh, I, I listened to some of your earlier podcasts and, and you heard some of your, your earlier guests talking about the fact that they've just they've closed offices. They've just said, fine, we don't need it. Now, I realize mm-hmm. if you're a very large company, if you're a large bank, you know, Barclays are talking about it, HSBC talking today about getting rid of 35,000 people. I mean, in that situation, okay, it's a little bit different. But at the same time, I think they're realizing that, you know, if they're going to do anything, this is probably the time to do it. And, of course, some companies mm-hmm. are taking advantage of this fact and, and uh, are scaling back dramatically. And as I said, even if you do that, the, the ability to, to move back out again is probably easier than deciding you have to have everyone go remote, uh, you know, sometime somewhere down the line. So I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to see everyone charging back into the offices anytime soon. No. And you mentioned that in your reference to the NHS earlier that that whole concept of um, many organizations have actually 
been able to step things up really quickly. So organisations who had been talking about rolling out, you know, flexible working or technology so that people could work from home, uh, all of a sudden managed to do it in, you know, I don't know, two weeks when it might have taken them six months <laughs> prior to, to, to this. Um, have you seen that playing out in, amongst the, the organisations that you work with? Mm-hmm. I, I have indeed. I've been. Uh, I was on a, um, a panel a little while ago and talking to a number of companies, some very you know well-known companies that uh, absolutely stated that, and you know they were they were shocked and surprised at how quickly it, it happened. And I guess it, this is the other side of it. You you have to, as an employee, again thinking of employee engagement, you think well, all the time when we heard these you know our senior leaders saying, oh well, we we don't have the money to do this right now. Uh, you know, digital transformation being a big thing. No, we can't do all of these things. And then finding out that they actually were able to do this in record time. And I think the reality, again, is that that what I've said earlier, once you've gone down that path and you have the technology in place, because technology, of course, has changed dramatically, even in the last 10 to 15 years. When we first started thinking about remote working, I used to work for a, a contact uh, center, uh, software company called Genesis, who is still quite well known in that field. And when I worked for Genesis and people started talking about remote uh, workers, um, even those that, that were in favor of it recognized that the technology challenges were quite big. But now with cloud and all of that kind of stuff, the ability to set it up quite quickly and to not need the technology that you once wanted at home. You know, the days when you, you said, well, you've got to have a, you know, a really high spec computer, you've got to have another phone line. Uh, and of course, there were issues about security and all of these kind of things. Many of these things have gone away. And of course, this is why the organizations have been able to move very quickly and very uh, efficiently to get on, uh, to the stage of, of having remote workers. So I think what it's done is to show people it is possible. Um, you might be a little bit skeptical now. You say, well, why couldn't they have done this six months ago? But nonetheless, they've done it. And as I say, there's no going back. And this is when I, when I talk about you know, the, the, there is no normal to go back to. This is what I mean, that they will not yeah. be going back. Obviously, they're not going to disconnect all of these, this capability. The thing, again, the nice thing about cloud is you can, you can you, uh, as and when you need it. So if they do decide they want to have lots of people go back into contact centers, as an example, well, fine, they can do that. And, you know, they, all of the, uh, the uh, systems that they've got simply uh, change to uh, on-premise as opposed to remote. And, you know, that's done mm-hmm. really, relatively easily and, and cost-effectively. Yeah, yeah. And let's sort of move on a little bit to talk about um, AI. It's it's something that's becoming more and more uh, used by organizations, even, you know, myself, a, a small independent consultant, and I've just popped a, a chat bot on my website this weekend. So, um, you yeah, know, the, the yeah. big, big companies obviously are doing it, you know, on a lot bigger scale, more professionally. Um, you know, what's that going to do in terms of the makeup of, of the, the workforce, particularly, I guess, with thinking that, you know, a lot of the workforce is sort of not visible anymore. <laughs> but, you know, is there going to be changes, do you think, in, in the sort of makeup of organizations with all this technology and this new way of working? Well, I think that, you know, people have been looking at this for a long time. Uh, this this has perhaps uh, accelerated it. So people have been trying to figure out, well, how do we blend uh, uh, AI uh, natural learning, all of these uh, these kind of things with, with real people. And I think the reality is that nobody really knew what it meant. You could read various stories from people about the the the, the, um, the droids um, taking over the earth 
and the fact that uh, Gartner, even I think as recently as two years ago, said that all customer service interactions by 2020 this year would be, uh, or not all of them, 80% would be handled by uh, by a chatbot or some form of artificial intelligence. And I think the thing is, is that I've been um, fortunate enough to be to see some of these deployments take place. So those companies that have, again, thought of their employees first and said, right, we want to do this because we believe we can offer better service. So what are the areas that we can put this in place where they've engaged the employees in that decision-making have been successful? So if you've gone to say, right, what, what are the kinds of things, you know, you've obviously decided to do it yourself. Um, you know, what are the kinds of things that would work well and I think the whole thing with, with AI and chatbots is, is clearly making sure that people understand they are talking to a chatbot, uh, trying to fool people into thinking, even though the you may exist, that they're talking to a real person. I don't think it's a good plan. So yeah. I think what we're finding is those companies that, again, have engaged with their employees, and that's why that term is so important, to say, okay, we think this is a good plan. How, how would you see it working? What are the kinds of things that you want to see happen? And then making sure that if a chatbot can't answer the question, you know, beyond we're talking, you know, beyond you know FAQs and other things, we're talking about some fairly, perhaps some fairly complex things. It you know it has to go to uh, to a colleague right away, along with a, a transcript of what's already happened. So as long as you look at it that way, listen to your employees, then I think we are going to see some some intelligent use of AI, and therefore again with the employee fully engaged and involved in that decision and how it's deployed, then I think you've got a chance of success. Because that's the reality. I think, I think it's hard to deny that this is going to happen. So mm-hmm. as an employee, I have to be prepared for it. But the question is, how do we do it? And as many people will say, if you are then able to allow your employee to take on more tasks, and this is where I think it will help, if employees can then do more things, better things, different things, it helps keep them engaged. It helps keep them interested. It gives them a broader scope for doing things. So rather than just answering the phone, maybe they're involved in a lot of other things because now they have the freedom to do that because some of the, the, the really simple stuff is being handled by a bot. So I think it can be, mm. it can be a positive change if it's done in the right way. Yeah, because I think you know the, the assumption a lot of people make is that if we, we have artificial intelligence, we put sort of the, the bots in that we automatically reduce staff but actually what we could be seeing which is sort of what you've just said is that we could be uh, taking some of the more mundane things away from employees and giving them much more chance to get more involved and so actually customer service you know if you've got people who are available to deal with the more complex issues and actually deal with them with plenty of time to do so because they're not dashing onto the next call it could actually improve custom service and also as you said engagement just through natural interest in in the role absolutely and, and, I, and I think this is this is where it will make a difference because if you think about most people when they think about roles in contact centers and perhaps any customer service uh, uh, role uh, you know for many people it's it's just something that they're doing in between uh, in between uh, acting gigs, you know, they, they haven't got a job, so they go, well, I'm going to work in a contact center. And, and that's unfortunately how it's perceived. It's perceived as a low skill, obviously low paid job in many ways. If we can change that, and I've been talking about this for a long time, this hasn't just been part of COVID. If we can change the attitude 
because if you are, I've seen this, I've seen this with organizations that I have worked with over a long period of time, where I've seen employees that have really been taken on board, have been taken on a journey, given opportunities to explore other areas. The knowledge that they have about the business and their ability to move into other roles in the business is tremendous. And also, if they, even if they chose not to stay, they leave that company with a tremendous amount of experience, having not just sat on the phone and answered phone calls, but been involved in many other parts of the business. So there's, there's lots of benefits in being able to help people do more within a business when they can, when they can let go of some of these more mundane tasks. Mm-hmm. So we're just moving into the last few minutes of the show. Have you got any thoughts on sort of top tips for engaging employees in this what do we call it in our, in our imperfect future? Not wanting to use the uh, <laughs> one of the words that we're getting rid of. <laughs> yes, we won't be we won't be using that. So I, I think it's in, in many ways this is something that probably hasn't changed. Um, as I mentioned, I'm working with a number of organisations right now, and one of the things that I've uh, always been a big fan of, and I've been able to introduce to to these organisations, is this this whole idea of, of what we call a cross-functional team. Now, it sounds very obvious, but I've talked to many companies who, for them, this is new stuff. So having a cross-functional team, people coming from different parts of the business, and it doesn't matter how big the company is. It, it could be a relatively small company of you know, 15, 20 people, or you might have a cross-functional team of three or four coming from different parts of the business who have different views on how to do things. And again, what I was saying earlier about giving people off work in other parts of the business. When you start doing that, when you start letting them see not just how customers are, are uh, interacting, but how colleagues interact, what's it like? We, t- we talk about walking a mile in, in somebody else's shoes. But this, is, this to me is, is, and right now, this is a great time to, to really let people explore what that's like because people are being asked to do more and different things. And I think companies can use this to their benefit if they get people really going, right, okay, how would you fix this? That's uh, one of the things that also has happened, I think, more recently, um, has been the development of what, what I will call um, employee voice platforms. So we've had things uh, like um, uh, Chatter and Slack and things like that that have been sort of productivity tools. But now we're seeing some of these other ones come out, things like Glint, Econ, CultureAmp, Pete, Beep, this kind of stuff. This is where employees are able to feed back information on a regular basis. For so long, we've had you know the yearly employee survey, and, and frankly, all that is is a tick box exercise. Now, with, with things happening so quickly, and as I said, we're, we're moving very fast, the ability to interact with employees on a regular basis, daily if necessary, these are, if you like, electronic suggestion boxes getting people, showing people that, A, they can make a difference, they have a voice, and their voice is listened to, I think is the single biggest thing a company can do to change the way they interact with employees and, by extension, with customers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it comes down to technology again, and as you say, the fact that actually the changes we've had to go through in the last few months could turn out to be really positive from that perspective. I mean, obviously, (laughs) it's a whole host of uh, not-so-positive things that have happened for us all, but uh, yeah. that push to develop that technology in organizations should should bear, you know, dividends moving forward. Well, I think it will. I mean, I think we can, you know, I think we look at these things as enablers, and, you know, that's a word I, I, 
it's, it's an okay word. It gets a bit uh, overused as well. But enabling mm-hmm. technology, because you could have the greatest people in the world, and I've seen this happen so often. You could have wonderful people who really care about customers and really want to do, do a job for them. But if the technology lets them down, that yep. really frustrates them. And this will, this will drive them away just as much as anything else. So if they, mm-hmm. have a, you know, if they, they go to, to look for a customer's information and they can't find it because the CRM system is either out of date or hasn't been updated or the last person to use it couldn't be bothered to do it, well, you know, whatever the reason is, they will get very frustrated and they will leave. And, and that is, of course, as we know, you know, employee engagement is dependent on keeping people. So, if you're gonna, yeah. if you're not gonna be able to help them help themselves, then you're going to find them going looking for something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, thank you, Jerry. It's been great interviewing you. Or should I say, uh, thank you, the customer lifeguard. <laughs> well, I'm always pleased to save as many people as I can. And thank you, Joe, again for the opportunity. I've enjoyed it, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, w- what we've been talking about today will help everyone. Uh, have that uh, that that great future that that will be there, and uh, it, whatever whatever we want to call it, I think we're uh, we're we're going to get through this, and we'll uh, we'll come out better for it the other side. Mm, lovely, thank you. So just to let you know, next week uh, Joe Moffat will be back, and she's talking with Jennifer Thompson, president of Insights Marketing Group, and they're going to be talking about why you need to provide cross generation communication training to your staff. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.